on the tee, Jack Nicklaus. This is the minute the millions around the world have waited for. We will allow you to enjoy all of this. They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the latest episode of the Bogeyman podcast with Johnny and Dave. We are absolutely delighted to be joined by the Dubai Duty Free Irish Open uh, winner, uh, John Catlin. Pretty, uh, pretty massive September month for you between the Australia and the Lithium Masters and winning in Ireland. So um, welcome to the podcast, John. Delighted to have you on. Yeah, thank you very much for having me. It's been a good September. Yeah, it's not been, not been bad. No, not not a bad not a bad last month for sure. It's nice to be home now, but it was nice to uh, get hot there for those two events and finish top ten in Portugal as well. So when I was talking to you on on Instagram, I I was asking you where you're based. So is Arizona home now or no? I'm just here. I'm just here caddying for a friend of mine. California is where I spend spend my time. Sweet, you're you're huh? caddying. I am caddying. Yeah. Is this like a is this like a nixer? Is this like a side hustle that you've got going on apart from winning winning tour events? And like... No, I'm just I'm just helping out, just helping out my coach's daughter. Ah, very good. Yeah. What's the yeah. what's the event? Cactus tour. Ah, very good. We've, we've had yeah. uh, Stephanie Meadow, Irish girl, who's based actually out in in Arizona. She's nice. She played pretty extensively on that at the start of the year, so she's got great things to say about it. Yeah, yeah, it's been fun. It's been fun to hang out and to help her out a little bit. And yeah, it's good. One more day today, and then heading back, heading back to Sacramento. So, how, how good a caddy are you, actually? Before we get into the actual interview, <laughs> you'd have to, you'd have to ask her. <laughs> no, I've been told, I've been told, I've been told I can help sometimes, but you know, obviously, it's you're just there to help the player. How how different is it then, actually? Like it's obviously a very different caddy into playing, but like, are you sitting there or walking along the course there? Like, oh, this is what I'd hit. Well, I think the big thing you realize when you're caddying is it's not about you, so it doesn't doesn't really matter what I, what I would hit. It's more <laughs> like how can I how can I get her to, you know, be in the right frame of mind or something. You know, hey, if you're if you're if you're unsure on a putt, let me come in and read it. But honestly, it's more just about how can I help versus anything I would do. Very good. So it's it's a funny thing, actually, John. So just on that, there there's a lot of guys on main tour in on the PGA tour whose caddies actually play lower level tour golf. Now, and the weird thing is that they earn more money by caddying on the PGA tour than they would by even corn ferry. Have you had you come across that before? Um, kind of on your travels where you're just getting really really good golfers on the bags and they're just making a bit more money because they. They're, they're very, very good for, for a guy that they're, they're caddying for. Yeah, I mean, for sure. That, that, definitely, that definitely does happen. Uh, you know, you get, you get guys that just seem to, you know, click with other guys and, uh, you know, they're, they're able to help them kind of get over that hump and both of them, you know, obviously can make money doing that. Well, okay, so that's enough about your 
side hustle job that you're doing <laughs> on the side we might, i think we might we might we might go back into into your real uh, world but um like do you want to go back to kind of right back to the start john just kind of give people a little a little background about kind of coming from sacramento how what it was like going up there and kind of your kind of journey on the ajgas the, the junior golf circuit and stuff and, and how how eventually europe uh, as well even before that but how the road to professional golf started for you yeah sure no problem yeah so grew up in sacramento uh my my older brother and my dad loved to play golf and uh and my my brother's actually nine and a half years older than me so he started getting pretty serious when he was 11 or 12 and that would make me about three years old. And so I wanted to go out and spend time with my brother and my dad. And, uh, so, you know, we, we went out when I was two or three years old. I mean, you know, I'm swinging with plastic clubs and plastic balls and looking for the milkshake at the, at the ninth hole. But, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of where golf started for me. And, but I became pretty serious about it when I watched Tiger Woods win the U S open at Pebble beach in 2000. And I would have been I would have been nine years old when that happened, uh, and I was playing pretty much every sport growing up as a kid. But once I kind of you know watched Tiger Woods and fell in love with how he how he played the game, and I was like, I want to try and I want to try and do that. You know, I want I want to be a professional golfer. And I'm sure I'm not the only one that had that had that happen to them. Just watching how good of a golfer Tiger Woods was. And, uh, so when I was about 11 or 12, I told my parents that I wanted to play on the PGA tour. And, you know, that was my, that was my ultimate goal. And uh, so I stopped playing all the other sports and started focusing solely on golf and started playing junior tournaments in the area and started winning some of them. And then, you know, kind of moved on to the AJGA circuit, as you had mentioned and played well in those never actually won one, but I had so many top tens that I had like, 45 exemptions or something crazy <laughs> so I was basically getting into every event but I hadn't but I hadn't actually ever won any of them um so yeah I kind of earned my earned my scholarship to University of 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 New Mexico and uh played there for four four years uh won once in college was an all-american my junior year and uh graduated from there in 2013 and turned pro started playing some you know mini tour stuff tried some monday qualifiers for the corn ferry tour and then uh i did corn ferry q school in 2013 and 14 didn't make it either time made it through two of the three stages or sorry three of the four stages but never actually earned any full playing rights uh earned a card in canada for 2014 pga tour canada i think it's now sponsored by the McKenzie Investments Group. Um, so played out there for two or three seasons. But after the first year, I just felt like I wasn't really progressing in my career the way that I wanted to. I played well, but I just felt like it was such a difficult, a difficult route. And, uh, you know, my coach kind of suggested going over to Asia. And I was pretty skeptical at first. I didn't know anything about it. It kind of scared me. It's pretty far away from home. Um, but that's really interesting because really... you're you're glossing over a, a lot of really interesting stuff there. So <laughs> let's um, can we, can we bring it back to to New Mexico. What was the yeah. step up to to college golf like there? And you're saying that you won once and obviously all American. 
what, what, uh-huh. how did you find that? How did you find actually getting up to that level or finding it that level great. first? Yeah, it was great. I think it was a really, really good, a good experience for me. Uh, you know, I, I'd kind of, I'd kind of won most things around, around the Sacramento area. So, you know, I, you know, when you're 18 years old and you've won every tournament in your local area, you think you're, you think you're a pretty good golfer and then you show up at a division one top 30 ranked program and you're like bottom of the totem pole. (laughs) So kind of, kind of humbled me a bit and got me back on the range and got me back working on what I, what I needed to do to get better. And, um, but yeah, I mean, it was a, it was a really awesome experience to play all four years there and, you know, to have won once was, you know, I, I wanted to win more times and I was close a couple of times, but, um, yeah, to have won was something really special. Uh, I I pretty much played every single event for for the Lobos since my third event freshman year. So I got basically like fifty three, fifty four tournaments. So it was it, you know it was just really really good experience. So who was on the circuit then at the same kind of time when you were playing college golf? Who were who were some of the names that you? Oh were yeah, so with? a lot of the a lot of the big names. I'm actually uh, you know I mean I mean we're not really friends anymore, unfortunately, just because of our different paths. Like, you know, we just don't chat as much as we used to, but you know, when, uh, when I played my PGA tour of our starts, it was nice to say hi to some of the guys like, you know, Justin Thomas and Xander Shoffley. And I never really knew Jordan Spieth that well. I mean, you know, I, I think I'd played with him once and, but, uh, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of guys on the PGA tour. I mean, those are just a few that come to come to mind. Uh, you know, Zach Blair, there's, tons of them like there's tons of guys that play on the tour now that you know i was fortunate enough to get to know through college golf and play with them a little bit um so yeah that was cool there's some there's some interesting people in there i think zach blair at the moment is for he's like at the front of building a new course somewhere over there in in um in the u.s and but it's funny to see the divergence of paths then but all circle back Mm -hmm. to success and where, where i'm going with that is that no matter where you went and you said obviously you won one in college and, and that obviously we know how competitive that is like it's as hard to win in a, a college event as it is as it seems to be to win on in a in a pro rank um in the pro ranks but you've where did the ability to close out tournaments because you've gone on four or five different tours and won everywhere uh-huh. where did that kind of confidence uh-huh. in yourself because it's not an easy existence john like you, you had to you had to go obviously away from home down to new mexico from california and then subsequently in your your more recent career have been you've been everywhere and but won everywhere <laughs> <laughs> yeah but like nowhere as in no there's been no waste adventures i mean in that like it seems like you've yeah. maximized i need to go here get experience win get on to the next level yeah yeah, no, I think that's a really good question. Um, I've always held myself to a very high standard. And, you know, no matter what I try and do, I, I try and do it at the highest level. Um, you know, whether it be schoolwork, whether it be sports, whether it be golf, whether it be trying to become a better human being, you know, whatever, whatever, whatever it might be, I'm always trying to get a little better. Um, and I think that's... Uh, allowed me to you know show up to us to a certain new circumstance or a certain new setting and you know at first it can it can be a little overwhelming and you know i'm still trying to get my feet under me trying to figure out how it all works uh but i think once i kind of am able to do that and kind of figure out how 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 the game is played so to speak 
then I just figure out how, how to fit myself in there. If that makes sense, you know, everyone's a little different. Uh, you know, I'd try and figure out what kind of works for me and what allows me to feel comfortable. And, you know, then I start getting to the, getting to the hard part of it is, you know, the hard practice and working on the areas of my game that need to improve to compete at that, at that level. And, uh, you know, I think that's part of why, you know, whichever level I'm at, I'm starting out kind of, you know, middle of the pack and then I kind of work my way up and, you know, towards a couple years in, I'm able to maybe have some success. And, you know, Asian tour was similar to that for a few, for a few seasons were a learning curve and, you know, Canada, I pretty similar to the U S it wasn't too dissimilar to college golf. So it wasn't that big of a change. So I had some reasonable success starting out, but you know, college wasn't easy to start out either. You know, it was different playing against great, great golfers and traveling a little more apart from my family and my coach. And, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I think I've just figured out what works for me and gone on from there. And how did you find like, so well, actually before you, how did you find the Asian tour? What was the, the decision to go over to, to that side of the world? Cause that really is up in sticks and, and go into the, the opposite side of, of the, the globe. Was, was there something, someone, so, something someone said that said, you know, this is the way, this is a good route, an alternative route for you. Or, or was it a case of this is X tier. This is what I want to play at. This is where I want to dominate so that I can progress to, x2 and then get up and then get up and get up mm-hmm. yeah it was it was my coach's idea <laughs> just being 100 percent honest it was my coach's idea and i was like you know i don't want to do that and he was like you really need to look into it because i think it'd be a great option <laughs> and thank god i you know looked at it from an open perspective and you know I, I just it it was once i looked at the numbers it became a very clear business decision yeah, you know, it's a, it's a great it's a great option if you don't have tons of financial backing. Uh, you can you can play a lot of events for reasonably reasonably cheap, and uh, you know, for the same for the same same amount of money you'd play one or two years over here, you can play three or four years over there. And I'm like, well, that's you know, that's a few extra years that I have to kind of fine tune my craft, you know, and not and not run out of money and not have to go find a job. I'm like, okay. I mean, you know, that's, I think that was the first thing that appealed to me. And then, you know, you see, you see, you see a lot of guys that have started over there and have kind of, you know, moved on such as I have, you know, the guys like guys like Tong Chai guys like here deck, uh, you know, that's just, that's just the name of you. I mean, there's been tons of guys that have come over from Asia, you know, had had success in Asia moved on to the European tour, even a few of them moved on to the PGA tour. And I was like, you know what? This sounds like a really, really good option. Uh, I'm going to go over there and see if I can't qualify and see what I can get out of it. Did you, did you travel with anyone? Because I think the most high profile of the pro circuit who would have ever come to Europe or say left the US, come to Europe, went down the challenge tour route would have been Brooks Kepkin now, but at the time he was best friends with Peter Uline and they traveled together and they're going having some fun. Did you have anyone to travel with as in, did you kind of unilaterally take a decision, right? Come on, we're going to Asia for an adventure here, but it's now it is, it was, was it on your own? Nope. Yeah, it was me. Yeah. I pretty, I mean, you know, I, I had some friends that were doing the same thing, but it wasn't like, 
okay, I got to find someone to travel with. It was just like, okay, I'm doing this. Who's going? Maybe we can share a room or something, save some, save some costs. But, you know, I was, I was going and, you know, so the nice thing about, you know, those events is they usually post entry lists, like who's, who's signed up and you can kind of get, you, you know, you can kind of get a hold of them and be like, Hey, you know, have you found a roommate? But yeah, I mean, it was my, it was my decision on my own to, to do it obviously with the suggestion of my coach. I saw that to, um, I was doing a bit of research on you this there this morning and last night. You started a, a YouTube vlog a few years ago when you, when you were at the tour. I was devastated I did, yeah. when that ended. <laughs> What'd you say? I was devastated when that ended. It looked it looked great. It looked great. Great way to see the world. Yeah, yeah it was fun. It was a uh, kind of a cool little thing I did. I think it was beginning of 2017, and you know my friend who's a IT guy was nice enough to kind of help me out a little bit with it, but you know, we just never really gained the traction and it was, it was a good amount. It was, it was, it was a good amount of work for him. And I just couldn't, I just couldn't pay him at the time. So I was like, you know what, man, you know, maybe, maybe if we both get like super interested later on down the road and I can actually compensate you for your time, maybe we start it over again. But you know, right now I'm just going to focus on my golf and you can get back to get back to your job. He's like, okay, that's probably for the best. (laughs) I think that's what the tour is missing, honestly. What we need now is a player to give it behind the scenes. So I, I think you should start that vlog back up personally. We'll see what happens. Maybe, maybe, maybe I can, can convince my friend to get back on it. I think you should do it. So you, you won then three times on the, on the Asian tour, uh-huh. um, qualified for European tour. You won obviously in 2019 then um, on the Asian tour once again. What was the transition like then from Asian back into back into European or over to European? I mean, it's kind of similar from going from high school to college. It was kind of like, holy cow, these guys are good. <laughs> and, you know, the golf courses were more challenging and the fields were deep. And, uh, you know, to start off, like, I felt like I kind of had to play, play really solid golf just to have a chance at a top 25 finish starting out. And, you know, it kind of exposed some areas of my game that needed to be tightened up. And so to be fair, you know, lockdown actually really helped. I, you know, it gave me kind of three or four months to really fine tune those areas of my game that were kind of holding me back and uh, came out from lockdown pretty much guns ablazing. I mean, the first event I finished top 10, which, which, which was my first top 10 on the European tour. Yeah. Uh, I was third going into the weekend at the next event, you know, played okay on Saturday. And then Sunday, it just rained all day. And I had no caddy on probably one of the hilliest golf courses I've ever played. And I started off like, I think I was like five over through seven or something. So kind of shot myself out of that tournament, but came back strong and, you know, finished sixth at Celtic classic, um, that was really and the start 20, of, the, of your good, good form then, wasn't it? Celtic yeah. Classic. Yeah, that was uh, – and to be fair, if I hadn't had kind of a – I think it was the third round or second round, I kind of – I shot like even par or something. And I only finished three shots, four shots back of Sam. So, you know, if I could have gotten that round going a little bit, could have maybe won that one as well. But, yeah, it was nice to get a couple of top tens under the belt, give me the confidence knowing that, hey, I, I can do this. And uh, just kind of moved moved on from there, and went on to the Belfry and finished top twenty five, and then off to Valderrama, and you know, the rest is history, as they say. 
Well, let's, let's <laughs> okay, relive sure. a little bit of the history, shall we? <laughs> but yeah, sure, why not? Look, it looks like it was almost scoring-wise US Open-esque, as in so tough for everybody. Um, like two over was the winning score. Everyone suffered. I remember looking at the cut line that week and saw the number. I was like, I couldn't believe how how it was playing. But do you want to run us through one the week itself, but how yeah, tough that sure. place I was mean, playing? I played it the previous year and it did kind of kick my butt. <laughs> I think I, I think I finished like seven or eight over through two rounds and missed the cut. And, uh, you know, I showed up this year, obviously in much better form and was confident in my game. But I mean, I think I played a practice on Tuesday and from when I got there on Tuesday to when I left Sunday evening, I don't think the wind blew less than 20 miles an hour at, at any moment. <laughs> and, you know, you watch that, you watch that course on TV and there's just so little margin for error on any given hole. You just, you just have to, you have to hit good shots. And, um, you know, it was nice to be able to hit the ball, hit the ball well, keep myself in good, good positions. And uh, Martin put on a pretty good charge there on the back nine. And we were both kind of, we were both kind of going back and forth there on those last five, six holes, kind of trading the lead back and forth. And, you know, if it, if it had gone a few more holes, who knows which way it would have gone, but you know, it ended there on the 18th and I was the one holding the, holding the hardware. Yeah, I think it was um, holding the hardware is definitely a good way of putting it. But it, that last day is a, was a pretty good embodiment, I think, from watching anyway, of the progression from the Asian tour up onto European and just like the level of player that you're playing against. You're playing against, in the final round, two-time major winner, former world number one, Ryder Cup yeah. legend, Playing as yeah. Martin Keimer, and you know you're, you're, you're like like you're saying you're you're going back and forth. Like, did you ever have a moment on the Sunday, or did you get a chance to, to go? Holy shit, this is what I'm doing. I mean, I think I'm fortunate enough that I've played with a lot of great players. That, you know, all the all the respect in the world. I mean, his record speaks for itself. But he's just a he's just another human being. I mean, you know, it's not like I'm. I'm not playing against God or, you know, it's just, it's just a guy who's, you know, playing golf that happens to be, happens to be a little bit better than, you know, most guys that have, that have done it. But, you know, I was, I was very, I was very confident in what I could do. And, you know, I knew if I could, if I could just keep my cool and give it everything I've got, then whether, whether I won or not at the end, I could, I could hold my head high knowing I'd given it everything I had. You did look very calm. (laughs) yeah i mean that was i was nervous for sure but again it just it came from it came from experience of you know winning before i mean i just sure it's a higher level but i had won i had won many times beforehand and i just knew that i could i could do it you didn't know if it was going to happen that day but i knew that i had the ability to to win in the end it definitely seems as though the habit of winning is something that you've been developing since a very young age. Um, uh-huh. And you, you didn't give yourself too much time to sit back and enjoy Andalusia before you were pretty open and pretty public and saying you want to win again. Yeah. Was, well, was, there, I think was there a goal I that think, you set? 
yeah, I think that's kind of how I've, that's how I've always been is like, once I achieve one goal, sure, I'll give myself a day or two to enjoy it. And I think that's, I think that's important. I think you have to enjoy your successes or else, you know, what's the point, but, um, you know, Tuesday came around the next week at Portugal masters. And I was like, I want to win again. You know, that's just, that's just how, I mean, it's the same thing for me on the Asian tour. It started out that year. I earned my card back in 2018. My first goal was, all right, let's, let's get, let's get top 60 on the order of merit so we can play next year, you know, play, play multiple years, play all the big events uh, because I still hadn't had a chance to play in the big events in Asia. So no, that was my starting out goal. I uh, finished eighth in Korea, fourth in the next event. I think it was Bangladesh. And, you know, I put myself in a very, very good position to do that. And I went to China and going into the final round, I was leading by one. And so in my head, I was like, okay, I've basically already solidified top 60. Let's, let's change up the goals here. Let's, let's try and win this. Cause then all of a sudden it, it extends that, extends that category even, even further down the road. And, you know, it started with that and then, you know, win that one and then you win again. Okay. Next time, you know, I want to win for a third time. And then, then I want to try and get into the, you know, CIMB classic. So I have a chance to play on the PGA tour. And then once I did that, I was like, okay, I want, I want to get into the, you know, the world golf championship events and so on and so forth. And uh, sure you enjoy the success for a little while, but, it's never enough. You know, I guess we're kind of greedy in a sense. <laughs> I don't think you'd survive if you weren't greedy. Though. Like <laughs> right. you're, you're, it's an individual sport. If you weren't all encompassing about yourself, sure, you'd never make it. Right. I mean, yeah, I think you gotta, I think you gotta give yourself the best chance. Could I go back into something on, on the winning part? So you've won on tour. How on say coming up the stretch with, um, in, I actually in both events, to be honest, as well. I and mean, we'll get into we'll get into Galgorm after. But I were curious about the bubble and the effect of no crowds on players. Is it easier, do you think, to stay calm minus the crowds and just get on with your own thing, or is it actually worse because there's probably this weird silence that exists in your playing group and there's no chatter and there's no, well, not much chatter, I imagine, um, because you're both playing for quite a bit of cash and is it easier or harder? Uh, I don't know. I think it, I think it's how you deal with it. You know, I think it's, uh, for me, I guess it's a little easier because you don't have to worry about some guy's phone going off or talking in your backswing or, but I mean, to be fair, other than that, like big, like once a crowd gets over a thousand people, it can be a thousand people or 40,000 people. It doesn't really matter. I mean, you, it's just, a large group of people and there's not much going on. It's that it's when you got that one guy standing behind you that you're like, okay, sorry, man, you got to move. <laughs> you know, if it's, if it's 20 people behind you, you don't even notice that they're there, but it's that one guy, if he moves at all, all of a sudden it's in your, it's in your peripheral vision and you got to step off. But yeah, I mean, I think to, I think to answer your question, I think it's a little easier, but you know, it's, it's nice when you, pull off those shots and hit one close to the pin and you kind of get, you kind of get rewarded with a nice loud roar. And then right. The, I suppose adrenaline buzz to, to that, that will obviously bring to you. But from my, from what I was thinking was it, it might be easier to defend against someone who's playing quite well because there isn't that 
rush for them in terms of a good shot, getting a crowd behind them and, and kind of the adrenaline, I suppose, pumping through them. But it's just because we've become now, Johnny and I would talk about it a lot, have become accustomed to not hearing crowds um, and have got very used to it. And it, the thought almost at the moment seems alien to, to anyone, but is I, I imagine for someone, you go and win in Valderrama, you want to have as many people there as possible. Is it kind of tinged then when you win? Or are you like, ah, it'd be great if there was a few people there? I mean, the goal is always to win. I don't care if there's one person in the gallery or 200,000 people in the gallery. I mean, I'm, I'm, there to, I'm there to win the golf tournament. And, you know, is it nice when there's fans there to cheer you on and when you do win to, you know, clap for you and congratulate you of course but I think that's the beauty of media now is that even if they aren't there they're still you know they're still there in spirit you know the people the people that are really cheering you on and rooting for you, you can watch you on tv and you know the tv the tv coverage does does a does a very good job of making sure that all the shots are shown and uh but yeah I mean my goal when I show it up when I when I when I show up in an event is to give it my all and have a chance to win going into the back nine on Sunday. And it doesn't matter. I mean, I've played, I've played waste management Phoenix open, hit a shot in front of 40,000 screaming drunk fans. So, I mean, it's just, you're just there to, you're just there to give it your all. It doesn't matter what's going on around you. So when the dust settles and like the cameras are all put away, who's a, who, who's the first person that you call or what do you do to celebrate your, your first year European tour win? Oh, the first person I call was my coach. And I told him that on the phone. I'm like, you're the first person I called. And that was, he was the first person I called after my second one. Uh, we just, you know, we're just best friends. And that's just, that's just the way that it is. You know, we've, we've been through a lot. We've put, we've put the hard work in through a lot of ups and downs of a, of a golf career. And so when I have that, have that big up, I, that's the person I want to share it with. You carried your momentum then. then. Sorry. Yeah. I said, then he tells you, you have to come back and caddy for his daughter. <laughs> and, and then all of a sudden you're just brought back to planet earth with a bang. Yeah. Well, it's good. You know, it kind of, yeah. you kind of got it. You kind of got to eat that humble pie sometimes. Oh, I'd say it's, I'd say that's a great down week to be honest. Absolutely. So, that you're Perfect. doing right now. So I'd say, God, brilliant. More of that. Yeah, absolutely. So there you go from the, um, the warmth of Spain to the, the frostbitten mornings of Northern Ireland. Uh, how, how was that? Uh, you pretty much hit it when you said frostbitten. It was, it was pretty cold, but to be fair, it's a great golf course. And it was a, it's a beautiful, beautiful place. We stayed there at Galgorn. I mean, that is a, that's a world-class resort and we were very, very well looked after. And I love the course. Uh, Loved it from the first time I played it. Thought it was, uh, thought it challenged you and pretty, pretty much every facet of your game, which I always look for in a golf course. And, um, you know, I just, I felt confident. It was nice to kind of have a week off after Portugal Masters. I was pretty exhausted. And uh, so I, I came in feeling fresh. And, you know, I was, it was cold for sure. But, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm, I'm there to win. If it's zero degrees Fahrenheit and, there's, you know, I'm, I'm a million two on the line for prize money. I'm like, oh, let's, let's play. Like I want, I want to play. And uh, so, you know, I'm just very happy to have the opportunity to play and especially playing well. And uh, so that's just kind of how I, 
how I looked at it. Like, hey, it's another another opportunity. How different or similar were the uh, the the way you won the two different events? Because I think in both events, I'd say you you laid it down to your your opponent was say on the day. So for in Spain, it was obviously Martin Keimer, but the leader going into Sunday was Aaron Aaron Rye. But you kind of just you played out of your socks, especially in the Irish Open. You shot what sixty four final round. Sixty four, yeah. Yeah, you, you like you lay down the gauntlet to him, and if, uh, from watching, it looks like he you know struggled under the pressure of you just saying, "There you go, that's the score, shoot it." <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, it was definitely different in the fact that you know Andalusia, I was wire to wire. I mean, I you know I led from I led from day one all the way through until the end. Um, and then, you know, Irish open, I was kind of chasing the whole time, you know, steadily kind of working my way up the leaderboard, but never really had the lead until I stood on the 17th tee box and, uh, you know, out, outright, I was tied to the lead, I think on 16, but, you know, it wasn't until I got to the 17th hole that I actually had the outright lead. And, uh, you know, that's the 70, 71st hole of the tournament. So, uh, yeah, it was definitely, you know, it was different, but you know, the mindset, the mindset wasn't any different. You know, I treat, I try and treat every shot the same and give it the same level of focus, go through the same pre-shot routine and just try and just try and put the best swing I can on it. And, uh, so, you know, the mindset was the same, but you know, the position was different and, uh, you know, I was able to execute some good shots down, down the stretch and put some pressure on Aaron and, you know, he came up short that week, but you know, the, the very next week he did he did okay so, yeah. he did okay yeah he did he did okay i mean that's that's kind of that's kind of the beauty of golf is like you never know when it's going to be your week and you just go out and give it your best and be confident in what in what you what you bring to the table did you know standing on 17 that you had just taken the lead was there a scoreboard there i i mean i knew that 8 under was leading when i was on the 15th tee box and i birdied 15 and 16 so I knew I was going to be, I was going to be up there. And then I, when I walked down the fairway on 17, there was a big leaderboard behind the green. And I saw I was leading by one. And then that's when I knew I was like, okay, I know where I stand now. Yeah. And then you birdied then 18 as well, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. yeah I birdied big, the last. big three wood into the middle of the three, green. Three wood from a long way out in cold yeah. weather. Yeah. Yeah. 268. I'll never, I'll never forget that number. <laughs> that was a huge yeah. three wood. That like if 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 you hit that back in California, that thing would have gone three hundred yards. I'd say like oh, it probably it probably would have flown in the green. Yeah, I, I just think how do you get used to because we've just had this cold snap hit from pretty much that tournament. Like, how do you get used to and how how long does it take you um, players to get used to the different ball flight? Because Shane Larry came back from like ten or. 12 weeks in Florida and just could not believe what he was having to hit into, into, into holes, like yardage wise. Does that take you a long time or are you able to adjust quick? Um, I mean, that was something I had to get used to my first year playing the European tour for sure. You know, it's uh, Asian tour. We're fortunate enough. Most places we're going to go to, it's going to be hot and humid. So the ball's going to fly a pretty consistent distance. You know, as you kind of alluded to, Spain was warm and ball was flying pretty good. And then Portugal was very much the same. And then flying to Ireland and it's seven or eight degrees and raining and windy and cold. And 
but you know, that's just something you learn and something, you know, good players adjust, uh, you know, it doesn't matter where you are and you learn to, uh, you learn to play your game in whatever conditions you're put in. Did you have to like scramble to like the pro shop and stuff to get clothes that were warm enough for the week? Because like, I, I don't know, do you even have that gear in California that, that deals with two degrees below and all that? Yeah, no, I do. I, I'm always, I'm always prepared. I always make sure I have everything I need. I, you know, I had my, I had my hand gloves. I had my woolly hat. I got, you know, long sleeve shirts, jackets, rain stuff. So I was able to keep myself pretty warm. Yeah, because remember, I was at the Open last year, and we thought in, in Portrush, and we actually thought the weather was quite good, and you kind of saw on TV, Shane Larry would have been wearing a T-shirt most days. And <laughs> you, could, you, could, you could see the Asian and American guys versus the European guys because they were walking around with beanie hats over their baseball hats, warm gloves, and wet gear on, and you're just like, it must be just so different for those guys. It is different. Yeah, I mean, it is definitely different for sure. But like you said, good players adjust. So, so currently sitting now, you're what twentieth in the race to Dubai, eighty seventh in official world golf rankings. Is now now the time where you reset the goals, plan the next win, or or what's what's next for you? I mean, right now it's some time off to kind of recover a little bit, uh, you know, mentally, physically, but. The goal is the goal is to finish as high as I can on the race to Dubai. I mean, we got we got two events coming up. Uh, you know, my goal is to be as ready as I can for DP World and to give it everything I've got. Because you know, that's if it stays the same as what it was last year, that's the biggest first place prize in professional golf. And you know, I would love to win, but I'm just going to go there and hope for. Uh, Hope for a chance on the back nine on Sunday, like I always say. You never know. You never know what other people are gonna do, but you can, you can control what you what, what you do. And if you're if you know if I'm fresh and and I'm ready and I've given, given everything I can in preparation, I know I'll have a chance. So you're you're currently doing a bit of downtime. What what do you do to unwind? What what do you do to relax or to to switch the mind off away from golf, other than caddying? I was gonna say, well, clearly it's caddy. <laughs> no, I like to, uh, you know, I like to spend time with my coach and his family. You know, my, I go, I go see my parents as well, and, uh, you know, my brother and his family, and you know, I just like, to, I like to catch up with people because when I travel as much as I do, it's just it can be difficult, especially with time change and everything. You just, you miss a lot of stuff, so you know, you kind of like to catch up and you know keep those relationships strong and know that you have those people behind you when you go back out on the road sounds like you've got a very special relationship with your coach more so than just a player coach relationship yeah he's he's pretty much my best friend that's, that's a nice way of putting it yeah <laughs> does it lead to, and do you have like the best friends falling out over bits and pieces as well and that it's just easier to make up and because obviously your working relationship is different is it like once you lock into into work it's work and then separate out the the personal relationship as well yeah i mean i think we just we're both we're both very business-like and we're both very driven and goal-oriented and we you know that's just part of our part of our nature so i think that's part of what kind of ties us together is we look at it from the same perspective like 
there's not really any clashing heads on, you know, when we're on a driving range and there's, and there's a golf ball in front of me that there's nothing really else that's really important other than what's that golf ball doing after I hit it. And, uh, you know, once that's done then that's done and we're on to whatever's next, you know, where, where we eat dinner, so to speak. But when it's, uh, when it's time to work, it's time to work. Well, with that, we may, we may leave you to, to go and do the, uh, the Nixer. Thank you very much for, for chatting to us. Enjoy the caddy and, and we'll be keeping an eye on you uh, for future events. Thank you very much, guys. I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. That was really interesting. John was great. I think John, I, he's unashamedly a very ambitious man. He's 29, nine wins under the belts, won on numerous tours around the world. So like winning... No one say it comes naturally to him, but it's not foreign to him. Yeah, like I, I just there's always a little tinge. I, I think anyone who wins on the European Tour at the moment, because as he tipped Aaron Rye to win in Galgorm, uh, he won two hundred grand. Aaron Rye wins the following week and wins one point two million, and it's a it's a funny kind of a place to be in, thinking that now any other year like two wins on tour and and the person we'd be speaking to there is probably a multi-millionaire um certainly if he won the irish open in its in its rolex guys as to what it was meant to be uh, that was going to be obviously a multi-million uh dollar event seven million in total i think yeah. so I'd, I'd say he's pretty happy he's won a lot of money this year but obviously if he'd held off a week he would have won an awful lot more but look that i don't think that concerns him i think he just loves winning yeah, I, th- I think the argument can be made both ways. I think, you know, world ranking points, he's still doing very well. He's up 87th around the world, race advised in 20th. But there's also just the case of COVID actually helped as much as hurted him because at the start of the interview, John was saying that COVID was a good opportunity for him to, to hone in his game, to practice, to get a bit better. Um, so would he have that as good a skill set if COVID didn't hit? Plus also, if COVID didn't hit, Irish Open would have been a Rolex Series event and everything that would have come with that, the fields, the more money, the pressure. He might not have got in. It would have been a different event. So, look, you know, we can we can play ifs and buts all, all day long here. But then the you know, reality of the story is John played great. John won and he's going to be winning again. Definitely, like he, uh, as you're saying there, he might like in a normal world he might not have got into any event of of those. Realistically speaking, like it's the way things pan out, and I think he's he's adjusted. He sounds like a guy who is incredibly flexible in in terms of, or incredibly, I'm trying to think of the word, where he will go into any scenario and make the best of it. Like travels on his own, doesn't bother him. Doesn't bother him that there's not crowds there. Doesn't bother him about the weather. He just goes and he's resilient. That's it. Yeah. I I think we've got a, a guy there who can who can go to anything. Step up to the just the profile is goes to the level, steps up to the level, wins, and then goes to the next level. Yeah, um, similar to what we were talking to Bob McIntyre about. Hmm. It's just, it, you know John's coach was saying, I think maybe it's a good move for you to go to Asian Tour. Go over there, play learn win progress and that's exactly what he did and then european tourists just say step and repeat or rinse and repeat of that exact same formula you know that john's obviously he's an american 
he's going to go, once he gets into the top 50, he's going to go going over to the States. He's already played three PGA Tour events. He had a Monday qualifier for John Deere, got in. Like, he's played WGCs. He knows where he wants to go. He's been pretty vocal after winning the Irish Open, saying that he wants to win. He wants to get into one of the majors next year. So that just tells you where he wants to be. Yeah, and like he's 80th in the world or 87th in the world. Like he's gonna he's gonna come into that into that reckoning just from a world ranking perspective anyway. Um, yeah, 84th, like another 20 spots, and he's pretty much guaranteed to be into major. So expect that star to continue to rise. Like you go out to Dubai, <clears throat> who knows what happens for for him, but. All you know is all he has to do this week is carry a bag for uh, a girl in in uh, in Arizona and not mess up the yardages for the, for them. It's pretty it's pretty cool story actually. Um, tour winner ends up carrying on the cactus tour. Hey, he's humble, obviously. No big time. There's no big time about him. He seems to have a great relationship with his coach, who's um, Noah Montgomery. So um, he's you know. He said they got their best friends. They've got a great relationship, and having that kind of relationship obviously goes a long way to not just more than the kind of player, but the kind of person that that John came across as. All right, guys, that's another episode of the Bogeyman Golf Podcast wrapped up. We've got a good few guests coming up over the next few weeks, and we are approaching the Masters. Masters in November, autumnal Masters. I'm reading the book on um, Clifford Roberts at the moment. He was a co-founder with Ben Hogan of uh, Augusta National. And it's one of those USGA approved, like one of the best golf books. It's got that stamp seal of approval. Wow. And um, like in the, in the, the forward, the, the author is like, just kind of ignore the racism bit here just just don't don't pay any attention to that just look at all the, this stuff now well oh, means Clifford, Roberts had a, he, Clifford Roberts is a product of his time like you know born in 1917 like he grew up in that kind of America in mm-hmm. the south he had a pretty tough upbringing by all accounts but my issue with the book is less him but more the author and you everyone being like just ignore the racism over here he he ended in tragic circumstances as well, actually. Yeah, um, as is, his mother and yeah, her, like, her parents. It's like he had a tough life. Um, interesting book. Might be something we might might talk about before the Masters. I mean, good but, story uh, to look into. Clifford Roberts' story is a good like take it as, <clears throat> as, as you said. There's a, a fair bit that will be glossed over, but his story is is interesting and finishes tragically on the golf course, actually. But um, yeah, on Augusta. Uh, I don't know if anyone's seen it, by the way. There's been a, like a couple of photos have gone around from helicopter views of the whole place was literally browned out completely. Uh, it looked like you wouldn't host a, you wouldn't host a horse race on it. Um, and then within literally a, ma- a matter of days, the place is back to lush green. They've overseeded on the, 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 rye, the rye grass. Um, so it's back to looking lush green i i I think this is going to be it'll look spectacular with kind of their fall autumnal colors um something that we've never seen and normally golf has actually only started back uh actually normally it's on this week they they open up the course again because they actually close augusta for the summer right after the masters it closes until until october so for all the waste of membership (laughs) for all the for all the budding people who who want to join augusta (laughs) 
<laughs> just we know that you're only paying for for six months of golf no value no <laughs> Ter- terrible value all right guys thanks very much for listening and um, we will be back to you next week on the tee jack nicholas this is the minute the millions around the world have waited for we will allow you to enjoy all of this They are dancing in the pubs of Dublin. Harrington with an ace. And we have a shining star at sunset. Rory continues his run to greatness. The return to glory.